Laura and I's first Mother's Day after we were married, I got the assignment. My dad was out of the country on Mother's Day, so I got the assignment to preach the Mother's Day message. Well, the Lord laid on my heart a really heavy, hard message about honoring your parents, especially about honoring your fathers for Mother's Day. And I really wrestled with that. You know, it's like, you know, you start asking the Lord, do you know what day it is? Are you aware of this? Anyway, I really struggled with it, wrestled with it, but knew it was what God was telling me to preach. So nonetheless, I got up that morning and probably made an awkward introduction. I don't really remember that part. It was the conclusion of the message that stuck in my mind. But as we came toward the conclusion of the message and we were sitting in the fellowship hall because it was after Hurricane Katrina and our um, sanctuary had not yet been rebuilt, so you're all very close and you know when God's dealing with somebody because everybody can see everybody and hear everybody. And a young woman started crying and started weeping And as it came to the invitation, she got her dad, and she came to the invitation and got right with her dad. A leading young woman in the church, and not a lot of people knew what was going on at home, and anyway, she wanted to publicly talk, and she got up, and she confessed to the church. She had been being rebellious at home against her father and asked his forgiveness publicly, her mother's forgiveness publicly, asked the church's forgiveness publicly, and Anyway, after all of this was over and everybody's crying now and they go to sit back down, the mom stood up and she said, this is the best Mother's Day present I could have gotten was for my daughter to get right with her father. So Aaron, thank you for preaching that message. So the Lord taught me a lesson there. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is or what day of the year it is, rather, um, if the Lord gives you a message, you preach what he gave you. And so what the Lord has laid on my heart for today is um, a message from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let's go ahead and turn there. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul's military mandate. And so to make it more Mother's Day, I put flowers on the PowerPoint. So happy Mother's Day, moms. We're going to look at this morning at Paul's military mandate. Paul gives some really strong, encouraging, challenging words here. So we're going to look at these five things this morning. Could we stand for just a moment more in honor of the reading of God's Word? 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14, Paul says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong, let all your things be done with charity. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that it is strong, that it is powerful, and like a two-edged sword, it cuts deep. And we pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would take this word that you inspired and gave to us, and that you would empower it to speak to our hearts. Lord, we realize how empty and how useless we are without you. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower this message, convict us of sin, and empower us and embolden us to proclaim your truth and to live the truth of God's word in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can be seated. About the year 50 AD, Paul arrived in Corinth to establish the church there. 
He started a church, and after only about 18 months, he left and went to Ephesus. About five years later, he heard of problems in the church at Corinth. So he wrote this letter addressing the problems that were have, they were dealing with there. And to give some instructions, he dealt with problems of divisions, of immaturity, immorality, worldliness, insensitivity to one another. He gave instructions on marriage, on church, on the ordinances. Um, he gave instruction on spiritual gifts, on love. One, one preacher said it this way. I attended a ministry conference this week and workshops, and um, one of the teachers, which was actually my favorite professor in school, he was talking about a completely different subject, but he mentioned Corinth, and he referred to Corinth as Paul's headache in the ministry. And you cannot read 1 Corinthians without feeling Paul's headache. As he's dealing with these problems within the church. And as we come to chapter 16, where our message is from today, <clears throat> we find Paul leaving some final in his chapter. The whole of chapter 16 is um, his closing remarks. He addresses specific people in the church, but here in verses 13 and 14, he's addressing the entire church. So really, it's a message we could have on Father's Day, addressing the fathers, on Mother's Day, addressing the mothers, and any other day of the year, addressing every individual within a church. And um, powerful words, strong words, the first four commands he gives here are military words, has a very strong tone to his message. You could, instead of putting a comma after each command, you could put an exclamation point. And some people actually translate it that way with an exclamation point at the end of each command. But as Paul is writing them, he's writing to a church that lives in a pagan society. I heard one preacher say this week, he said, we have moved from being a postmodern society in America to being a pagan society. And we see it all around us. Go to the store and just look at the people around you and you will have the feeling sometimes that you are in a third world country in a jungle, looking at all of the piercings and all of the markings. And as you see these things that have happened for centuries in the jungles, to people who know nothing of a God, yet sadly today you walk in many churches, and again, the same appearance is there. Because we are living in a pagan society, much like the society that the church at Corinth was in, as a result of that, we are going to have many of the same problems and same issues, and we do, that the church of Corinth was facing. So I think we can take these things and readily apply them today. In fact, I think in the day in which we live, First and Second Corinthians and the letter to Ephesians and First and Second Peter are passages that we should constantly keep in front of us um, because there is so much instruction that applies to us in such powerful ways like I really think Christians in American society have never needed those truths before. So let's look at the first one this morning. He begins, watch ye. We're going to say it this way, be alert. 
the word that is used here for watch ye um, is Gregorios. It's where we get the name Gregory. It means to be watching. Literally, it means to be awake. That's why I have a picture of an alarm clock there. How many of you grew up with an alarm clock like that at grandma's house? My grandma had an alarm clock like that. And if you were asleep, you just didn't want to be asleep when it went off because it was terrifying. Those bells being struck. Oh, that was so scary. That loud thing going off. And I am not a morning person. So at grandma and grandpa's house on their farm, when it went off at four o'clock in the morning and the sun hadn't come back up, it was quite a rude awakening. But literally, he's saying, wake up, be alert, pay attention. This is an imperative here. It's a command. It's a continuous action verb. It means it's something that we should be constantly doing. We should be, as Christians, staying awake. We should be actively watching. We should be actively alert. Metaphorically, it's used in the Greek to give strict, meaning to give strict attention to, to be cautious, to be active. And as Christians, there are some things we need to be cautious about. We need to be alert to. We need to be awake to. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 13, Jesus said that we needed to watch. He says, watch ye, for ye know not the day nor the hour when your Lord will come. We need to be alert and watching for Christ's coming. We need to be prepared for his return. We would all live different if every day we woke up in the morning watching, expecting, alert that today may be the day. You know, you hear that company's coming, and what do you ladies do? What do you start doing? You start cleaning your house. Company's coming, you start cleaning your house, you start getting prepared. If we every day woke up and realized, oh, Jesus is coming today, we would get up and we would start getting ready. We would be prepared. We would have our lives in order. We would have things right in our hearts. We would be right with our spouses. We'd be right with our children. We would make things right. We would be actively working for the Lord because he's coming today. We need to be alert in prayer. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus dealt with this. Watch ye and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need to be alert in prayer. And what Jesus is saying here, when we're alert in prayer, we'll have power over sin. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 20, Paul deals with it with the church at Corinth about being Alert, being awake, watching in prayer, and he talks about thanksgiving as well. We need to be alert and aware of an enemy. Let's flip over to 1 Peter chapter 5. I mentioned how important First and Second Peter are in our lives right now, written to a people who were, did not know themselves yet, but were being prepared for the persecution by Nero. What a terrible, wicked ruler he was. And so as he's closing his first letter here, <clears throat> Peter says in verse 8, be sober, be vigilant. This is the same word, Gregorios. Be vigilant, be alert, be watching. Wake up. 
Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Be sober, be vigilant. They needed to be aware of their enemy. We can never go to sleep when it comes to the devil. We need to be constantly aware that he is on the prowl, constantly aware that he is after us, that he's after our spouse, that he's after our children. Be aware of his attacks. Notice them when they come. I'm so grateful that my wife is often so aware to Satan's workings in our home. There are times where I will be struggling with a message, struggling with a Sunday school lesson, and my, I begin to struggle with my health, and I begin to struggle mentally, and so I'm starting to have all of these attacks. Well, I'm, I'm in the midst of the battle. I'm focused on the message. I'm focused on my studies, and I'm not realizing what's going on, and finally my wife will say, I think we're under spiritual attack. Why? Because she's been watching what's happening. She's seen it before. There's an attack here. Why is this child misbehaving in this way? They're under attack. We're under attack, aware of the enemy. And when we're aware of the enemy, we're able to fight a spiritual battle. We're able to counterattack in the right places. When Jesus was attacked by Satan and his temptations in the wilderness, what happened? He was ready. He responded with Scripture. Why? Because he was watching. He was alert. He was aware of his enemy, Satan, and how he was going to attack. We need to be aware of our enemy. We need to be alert to him. In the context of 1 Corinthians, Paul had told them some things. He didn't use the word alert, but I think as we're coming to the conclusion here, if we review over 1 Corinthians, over the entire letter, we could say that Peter, or Paul rather, was telling them to be alert to improper loyalties in chapter 1. Some of them were saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. We can so easily get into those types of arguments. My whole life, I have heard people that will say, oh, who's preaching at that conference? Oh, brother so-and-so, I don't like his style of preaching. They don't go because he hollers too much. Well, then this other family, they're not going to go to this conference because that preacher stands still too much. And this man, he says this word, and we don't like this word, so we're not going to go hear him. I mean, he didn't cuss. Like, I, I stand there scratching my head trying to figure out why we're mad at this man who's not actually saying anything wrong. But all of a sudden, the, the loyalties, well, I'm, I'm loyal to brother so-and-so. I'm loyal to brother so-and-so. Paul says we should be loyal to Christ. He said, I'm glad I didn't even baptize any of y'all because you're not going to be able to say, oh, well, Brother Paul baptized me. You hear the new convert that's trying to explain salvation, and he says, Pastor Hovey saved me. It makes a preacher cringe when we hear that. Um, I heard somebody say that recently, and I stopped, and I said, now, now, who saved you? Jesus did. Well, who did you just say saved you? Oh. They hadn't thought through it yet. But in Corinth, they were literally aligning their loyalties. It'd be like in church, well, I'm for Pastor Joe. I'm for Pastor Hubby. And all of a sudden, this big division in the church, that's improper loyalty. Our loyalty is to Christ. In chapter 2, he tells them to be alert to the Holy Spirit. He explains how that the Holy Spirit teaches us truths that we in our natural human minds cannot understand. 
but we have the Holy Spirit empowering the Word of God, illuminating our minds, helping us to understand it. In chapters 5 through 7, he talks about being alert to sin. He deals with all sorts of immorality, impurity, and if we're not alert to the temptations that are coming into our lives and the things that we're yielding to and the things that are coming to our, into our homes, we're going to fall prey to sin. We need to be alert to sin. In chapters 8 and 10, he instructs them to be alert to the weaker brethren. It's real easy to demand our rights and live the way we want and not worry about how it affects others. But he explains to them in those chapters that they need to be alert to the weaker brethren. So first, he tells them, be alert. Secondly, Paul instructs them to be faithful. How does he say it? He says, stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in the faith. This word to stand fast is stecho. It means to be stationary, to stand firm, to persist, to persevere. Literally, it means don't back down. Stand still in your faith. The word faith here is used in Scripture. It's the, the, the Greek word pistis, which means faith or belief. It's what John talked about over and over and over in the Gospel of John. Faith in Christ. But literally here, he's talking about the Christian faith. He's telling us to be faithful, to stand fast in the faith. We need to be faithful to the head of the faith, which is Christ. Last week, I took part in an ordination um, an ordination council in Fort Worth, and as the panel of pastors was asking questions to this new pastor, and um, there was a number of, a lot of doctrinal questions that were asked, but as we were talking about the Word of God, and um, we had talked about the doctrine of Christ, I didn't have a lot of questions to ask, but as we came to the end, there was one question I had to ask this minister. And I asked him, I said, would, in a day in which we live where the world and the government is getting more and more and more antagonistic toward Christianity and toward the Word of God, would you be willing to die for the Word of God? There was a long pause of silence. And then the pastor said he believed by the grace of God he would be willing to die for the Word of God. This is the kind of faith that Paul is talking about here. We need to stand fast in the faith, regardless of the consequences, regardless of what it will cost us. We need to be faithful. I, as I've been preparing this message from the start, <clears throat> talking about being faithful here, I kept thinking about Dr. Nicole's mother. Dr. Nicole, Margaret Nicole, she used to love talking about her mother. I mean, anytime you were around her, <clears throat> she'd come to our house with the Bogners um, the Saturday before um, Easter for a family get-together, and Amy would bring her with her. And it wasn't going to be but just a few minutes, and there was going to be a story about her mother and a story about her father and a story about her brother, but especially her mother. And as she talked about her mother 
as her mother was lying there on her deathbed, making sure her children were saved, praying with her children, and as she's dying from this poison that she's been given by the government because she refused to quit showing up at church when her husband would be arrested, and she refused to quit spreading the gospel. I've thought this week so much how important it is that we have faithful mothers who are willing to die for their faith, who are willing to speak the gospel, who are willing to share the gospel, who are willing to stand for truth. I'm thankful for a grandmother. Grandma Baker was so such a powerful witness for Christ. She was so quiet. But last time I was over there in Mississippi at a church um, preaching, one of the men of the church said people still talked about my grandparents on the radio, and they had already been dead for a couple of years. Because the testimony was so powerful of a quiet little deacon's wife who was constantly encouraging people in the faith, host ladies in her, Bible st- in her home for coffee and teach them the Bible, Young woman in the community had been to um, school but never learned how to read. I can remember as a little kid coming in and thinking it was so funny, this grown woman doing the same school I was doing. Now, I ran outside to giggle. I wasn't going to giggle in front of grandma. I knew that would be bad news. But as a little kid, that spoke to me that my grandmother was reaching out to people. But she was willing to stand for the faith and unwilling to back down on truth. I'm grateful for a mother who I have seen for many years stand for truth. I've seen friends that stood up to my mother demanding their way as a teenager at youth camp. I can remember seeing teenagers stand up to my mom, and my mom knew she was having to stand for truth. And this teenager standing in front of her defying her to make her obey the rules at camp, and the rules weren't that difficult to obey at that camp. But watching as my mother was willing to stand for the faith, watching as my mother was willing to be ridiculed, watching as others criticized my father, and yet my mother was was faithful and stood beside him, we need mothers who are faithful. Faithful to the Lord, faithful to God's house, faithful to God's people. We need to be faithful to the head. We need to be faithful to the doctrines of the church. In fact, um, 2 Timothy, sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul tells, talks about being faithful to the traditions. And literally, the word traditions there means a body of teaching. He's talking about the biblical teachings of the church. There are people today who are constantly questioning the doctrines of the church. Looking for a new doctrine, a new way, a new way of thinking because we live in a new society and so therefore the word of God must be obsolete and these traditions, people are leaving the church so therefore there must be something wrong with the church and its message. So we have to restructure the message of the church. We live in a day of apostasy, a day of a falling away a day of unfaithfulness to Christ and his word. And we need to be people people who are faithful to his word, not looking for the newest, coolest, 
latest teaching, but faithful to the word of God, the doctrines of God. My parents always taught us if it's a new book that just came out and everybody's going crazy over it, don't buy it. Even Christian books, if they were popular, they didn't let us buy it. You wait a little while and see what the fruit of the new book is. And then we'll see if we're going to buy it. And when all of a sudden the fruit of the new book is all kinds of new ideas and new doctrines and a forsaking of the word of God, then we know it's something to beware of. We need to be faithful to Christian service. In chapter 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We folks need to be faithful today. I remember a day when Laura and I were discouraged because of friends who were walking away from the faith. We had had other friends, a preacher friend and his wife, come and sit down in our home, sit across from us and tell us, you have too, don't you think, you have too many standards in your life. And your church holds to too many standards. People are leaving your church and going to keep leaving if you keep having standards. And so we got this lecture for a few minutes, and the couple left. Later, we heard of another person leaving the faith, another friend falling away from the faith. And anyway, I remember after a phone call one day going and feeling physically sick, so physically sick, I went and actually crawled into bed. And I was laying there just discouraged, thinking, should I question everything? Should I restructure everything? And as I'm laying in my mind and I'm thinking of Scripture, and I'm thinking, well, what about this? Well, the Scripture says this, so that's what this is based on. Well, what about this? Well, the Scripture says this. This is what this is based on. And then I took out my Bible and I began to read. And I don't remember if it was 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, but somewhere there in those historical books in the Old Testament. And I'm reading, and I'm reading about these kings that would fall by the wayside, that would reject God, and then another one would come and lead revival, and he would turn to God and there would be revival. And so as I'm reading these things, I got so stirred by the Holy Spirit that I just needed to be faithful. I got out of bed and I marched into the living room. I must have looked like a mess. I marched into the living room, or actually into the little dining area there right outside of mine and Laura's bedroom. I'm not even sure we had kids yet. And I walked into the living room and I looked at Laura and I said, we're going to be faithful to the word of God. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to keep dressing the way we dress, and we're going to keep our King James Bibles. And, we're, and I just start listening to all this, and Lord just stood there looking at me. Amen. 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 I said, we're not going to change. And I went back to my bedroom. I don't remember what happened after that, but I remember I got so stirred that I realized I need to be faithful to the Word of God. And it didn't matter if anyone went with me or not. I still was going to follow. We need this kind of conviction. This is a strong term that Paul is using here. He's saying, don't back down. Stand fast in the faith. It doesn't matter how the government changes. It doesn't matter how the church changes or others change. Be faithful. God is looking for faithfulness. So first, he says, be alert. Secondly, be faithful. Number three, be 
mature. How does he say it? Quit you like men. Quit you like men. Boy, this is not a popular term today. A popular phrase in our pagan American society, quit you like men. This word quit, it's a very old English term, and it literally means to behave in a specific manner. You could say, Paul is saying, act like a man. Man up, my dad would say. Literally, the word means to be brave, to be courageous, to, as I said, act manly. And it's kind of funny to me because if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 9, it's kind of like Paul is actually quoting a Philistine battle cry. I, I call it funny because it's just hard for me to wrap my mind around Paul quoting a Philistine battle cry. The Philistines and the Hebrews had gone to battle and <clears throat> the Philistines had won. Everybody went back to their tents, to their camps. And um, Israel decided we need the Ark of the Covenant. If we bring the Ark, in the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant in, we'll have power and we'll win. So they sent some guys back. They brought in the Ark of the Covenant. And when they came into the camp, they got so excited. They start screaming and they start hollering. And the Philistines got scared. They said, oh, that noise that's coming. We've never heard anything like it. Go read it yourselves. They say that. They've never heard anything like this before. And um, they were quite disturbed by the sound that they heard. And so they told their men, quit you like men. Be strong. That's what Paul said here. That's why I say this. That must be a quote from them. Well, what happened? They said, we're scared because God must have come into the camp of the Israelites. He said, you've got to quit yourselves like men. You've got to be strong. Otherwise, They're going to defeat us like we had defeated them, and we're going to become their servants. They said, we refuse to be the servants of the Hebrews. They went out and were so stirred up, they not only defeated Israel, but they were actually able to take the Ark of the Covenant with them. And the priest's sons were killed and led to a whole big turn of events. But what was it that the Philistines said? They said, quit you like men, be strong. Man up. Get out there and fight to the death because we will not be slaves. And so Paul uses the same terminology and he tells us, quit ye like men. It's a battle cry. Be brave. Be courageous. Act the part of a man. Now, if we study this in the context of 1 Corinthians, you have to go back to chapter 3. I think he hints to it before this, but chapter 3, he gets really strong in his terminology here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. I couldn't talk to you like you were spiritual people, but as unto carnal. You were too fleshly to be able to hear what I really needed to say to you. Even as unto babes in Christ. I had to talk to you like you were little bitty babies. That's what Paul's saying here. I have fed you with what? With milk. Who do you feed milk to? Other than kittens. You feed milk to babies and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it. Neither 
<clears throat> yet now are ye able. Now this is really disturbing because the Holy Spirit, as we studied recently in Sunday school in John chapter 14, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was going to come to permanently indwell believers. And Jesus said, I have more things I want to say to you, but you can't handle it right now. You're too immature right now. You're babes in me right now. You're babes in Christ. You cannot handle this right now, but the Holy Spirit's going to come and indwell you, and he will teach you. He'll take you from where I left off and teach you more. Well, now you've got this church at Corinth who has the Holy Spirit indwelling the believers. Yet when Paul is teaching them, he can't teach them what he needs to teach them because they are not spiritually mature enough. It wasn't because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. It was because they were so cultivating their carnal flesh that their spirit was weak. They were babies spiritually, and they couldn't handle the message. Verse 3, for ye are yet carnal. You're still carnal. And then he goes on to talk about the problems, the divisions, <clears throat> all these problems. You're walking as men. You're not walking as spiritual men. You're walking as carnal men. So you could say that what Paul is saying here is to be spiritually mature. A good test of maturity as you study First and Second Corinthians is to find how easily you are offended by things. When I get my feelings hurt at something, I have to realize I'm being spiritually immature. I really shouldn't get my feelings hurt. We've heard Pastor Joe preach powerful messages on this. If I love the word of God, I'm simply just not going to become offended. Why? Because I'm eating meat. I'm growing spiritually. So a good test, based on the teachings of Paul here to the church at Corinth, when we start getting our feelings hurt, and sometimes we think, I'm the more spiritual Christian. Because my standards are so high, I don't do what the other people at my church do. But I'm always getting offended at the people at my church who do stuff that I don't do. And what Paul explains is, it's not the person who stacks up the most standards that is the most spiritual, but it's the Christian who doesn't get offended by the Christians who are different from them. That's a hard message to swallow. I was, I, I was um, basing my spiritual maturity on the standards I had, we might say. But Paul says, oh, how easily are you getting offended by everybody else in the church? I tell you, it's a difficult thing to preach to immature Christians. It's a difficult struggle when you're preparing the message. If I say this, it's going to offend so-and-so. If I say this, it's going to offend so-and-so. If I say this, oh, I got to remember not to use this word. I got to remember not to say this. And it becomes a struggle. And you read the writings of Paul here in 1 Corinthians, and he tells us that we shouldn't be offensive to other believers. But then we start questioning, but the truth of God is sometimes offensive. And that's what the scripture says. So balancing that out, and it's a real struggle sometimes. And it gets, just like rearing children, mothers, it gets so exhausting when your children are being so immature. It's exhausting when you're preparing a message and trying to bring it, and you're so fearful that you're going to hurt another Christian who is an immature Christian. So my challenge from Paul here is this. 
How does he deal with it? He goes through, and in, in 1 Corinthians here, he talks about, I believe it's in chapter 10, he talks about being careful not to offend others. And as he's saying all of this, and most of his instruction here is given on the stronger brother to make sure he's not offending the weaker brother. And then he gets to the end of the chapter, and he says, now all of you grow up. Quit you like Men, what's he saying? Grow up. Those are not my words. Those are the words of the Holy Spirit through Paul. So this has been a challenge for me. Sometimes when I start to get offended by something that somebody says or that I see or something that's just bugging me, I have to ask myself, am I being a mature Christian? Should I really let this bother me? And for me, I would say 99% of the time, it's something that I'm just being immature about. So I challenge you, be spiritually mature. So first, Paul said, be alert. Secondly, be faithful. Third, be mature. And then he says, very short statement here, be strong. Be strong. This word is in the present tense, meaning that it should be a continual, continuous action. It's a command. But when you look at the wording in the Greek, it doesn't just mean just like, boom, suddenly be strong. But it means to be strengthening yourself. In other words, he's telling us, get strong. And it's continuous, meaning every day, be getting stronger. You know, you, you, go into a, you go into the store and you pass this guy and he's got big muscles. So you guys say, I want those muscles. So you go home and you start working out every other week. One day a week, I'm going to get me those muscles. Well, let me ask you, every other week, once, one day a week, is that going to really do anything? But that's how we often are. We say, oh, I want to get stronger spiritually, so I'm going to go to church. We don't pick up our Bibles. We don't change any, change any other habits. But to get stronger is going to require daily discipline. To get stronger physically, it will require daily discipline, and it's the same spiritually. To be strong spiritually, we are going to have to have daily discipline. He's talking about this spiritual strength. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 80, he talks about John the Baptist. He was raised up in the wilderness, and it says he grew in spiritual strength. He grew mighty in spirit. The same was said of Jesus in Luke chapter 2 and verse 40. He went home with his parents, and he grew in this spiritual strength. The scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16 that we need to be strengthened in Christ. You and I are not going to be strong on our own. We're not going to find some supernatural strength out of our own work, our own ability. Um, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16, he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might. By his spirit, where? In the inner man. We have to be strengthened by the power 
of Christ and the power of his spirit. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, finally, my brethren, another concluding passage of Paul, finally, my brethren, be strong, how? In the Lord and in the power of his might. And then he says, put on the whole armor of God. The armor of God is given us, given to us as Christians to strengthen us. He walks through this in um, Ephesians chapter 6, and he walks through each piece of this armor. It's how we stand. It's how we're going to be strong to recognize we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritual wickedness, against spiritual strongholds. And then in verse 14, he begins to tell us about this. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. We put truth around our loins. This is going to protect the tender parts. This is going to protect our, um, the, the tender places of our body. He says, having your loins girt about with truth, truth is going to make it to where we can actually fight. Truth is going to protect our drives. Then he says, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ is going to protect our hearts. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What is going to keep us from stumbling? What is going to empower us? It's going to be the gospel of peace. That's going to be on our feet. Verse 16, having all taking the shield of faith. Faith protects us from the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation. That's going to protect our minds. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's how we're going to be able to go on the attack. And then he says, praying always with all prayer. We need the power of God if we are going to be strengthened. On a daily basis, we should submit ourselves to Christ. I had one Bible teacher that said the first thing he does every morning when he wakes up before he steps out of bed is he puts himself on the altar. And he would tell us over and over and over, and I heard him speak this week, and when he was speaking, he said it again. He said, if you're not the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning giving yourself to Christ, you're going to be a failure all day long. He said, when he wakes up in the morning, first thing he does is say, Lord, I put my body on the altar. I want to be a living sacrifice for you today. We need to submit ourselves to the Lord to live in his strength, in his power. It requires daily training like an athlete to be strong. As I've already said, developing spiritual disciplines in our lives. He addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In chapter 9, he says in verse 20, uh, sorry, in verse 24, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that we may that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery, the person who wants to win the race is temperate. That is, he has self-control in all things. He's disciplined in how many things? He says he has discipline in all things. Now they do, uh, sorry, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. An athlete goes through so much pain, so much sacrifice, has so much discipline in order to obtain a corruptible crown. 
Today, athletes work to win, you know, that, I mean, I know it's not really real gold anymore, but, you know, a gold medal, a silver medal, a bronze medal, years of discipline, years of work. But back then, they would do it to get this little laurel crown that they'd put on their head, and it's going to be, you know, it's going to start wilting on day two. You know, at right temperature, it's going to start wilting on day one. He said they went through all of that for that little crown that's going to rot. He said, but we, but we, an incorruptible crown. We're looking for eternal riches. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. If I fall into sin, don't blame my parents. Don't blame my church. Don't blame the fact that I was homeschooled. Don't blame Cliff Estes or Bud Lance or Bill Gothard or any other preacher who's influenced my life. If I fall into sin, you can blame me. The fact that I was not disciplining myself. I was not keeping under my body. I was not bringing it into subjection. We live in a day where when someone sins, we start blaming every single thing and person except for sin. Except for Satan. And except for the person who did the sinning. I have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to be strengthening yourself daily. As I was studying the the Greek words here, um, I found that there were three things they said that um, Roman athletes of the day would do when they're preparing for a competition. They said they would abstain from bad food, unhealthy food, and of course what they're going to do, they're going to eat healthy food. In fact, Ironside, as he was talking about this verse, he made a comment about being strong. He said, when people come up to him and ask, would you pray that I'll be more strong spiritually? He starts asking them questions. And one of the questions he asks them is about what the kind of food they're eating. He said, if you're, over, or if you're, if you're malnourished and you need to start getting stronger, he said, I would ask you, have you been eating good food? And if you say no, I am not going to waste my time praying for you. And of course, that shocks the people. And he said, if you're praying and if you're asking me to pray for you to be more spiritually strong, if you're not reading your Bible, it's a waste of my time to pray for you. And he went on to say this, what you need as a Christian is a good meal of spiritual nourishment, and you can get it only in the book. You may do all the praying you like to be a strong Christian, and your prayer will never be answered until you begin to answer it yourself by feeding upon the word of God. These athletes would also abstain from alcoholic beverages. They would abstain from physical pleasure. Why? Because they were focused on one thing, winning the prize. They removed all the things that would tear down their strength. We need to remove anything in our lives that tears down our spiritual strength, that makes us weaker as Christians. And we need, to st- we need to go home this week and start finding those things that are going to strengthen us in the faith, that are going to build us up, getting into our Bibles, spending time in prayer, 
If you've got extra time on your hands in the car, instead of listening to carnal music, turn on some good preaching. Find some things that are going to help you, that are going to grow you spiritually. So, let's review. First of all, he said, be alert. Secondly, be faithful. Number three, be mature. Number four, be strong. And number five, be loving. Let all your things be done with charity. All things, every single thing we do. I think you could say all the above. Watch with charity. Be alert with charity. Stand fast in the faith. Don't be arrogant. Don't be ugly. Don't be mean. Stand lovingly. Quit ye like men. Be mature. And in fact, if you study 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, he's not gotten away from love when he said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. In the midst of talking about love, he says that when he talks about maturity, and verse 13, and now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Follow after charity. Everything we do. And then he goes on talking about spiritual gifts. And I think he put, it, put that instruction about love where he did. Because when he goes into spiritual gifts, he says, everything we do, it ought to be done in love. If you're teaching, it should be done in love. If you're exhorting, it should be done in love. If you're prophesying, it should be done in love. Everything we do as Christians, all things, he says here, should be done in love. Again, this is a, the, the be done is a continuous action verb. It's something we should always be doing. Everything we do should be in love. And then you have these two words here, in agape, with love. This means by the means of or through. This word indicates the means by which anything is accomplished. He's saying every single thing we do should be done through love. So I challenge you mothers, remember that your love is the most powerful tool you have as a mother. Teach through love. Correct through love. Discipline through love. Don't turn off the love when it's time to spank your child. Love them. Pray for God to empower you with his love. Folks, if there's something we need more of today as Christians, it's more of Christ genuine love in our lives. There is so much hate in this world. If you read the paper, if you turn on the news, this week we were staying in a hotel in Shreveport, and one night I turned on the TV. And there was a local news channel and another local news channel. It was during news time. Anyway, as I went through, I did not stop on one channel, even PBS that wasn't running a program that was stirring hate. PBS, it was all about hate, the history of hate in America. They called it the history of racism in America, but they went into all kinds of... I only stopped for about one minute, and I was shocked by the things they were digging up and twisting and turning to make it sound like this enormous every person in America hates every other person in America. It was unbelievable what I was hearing. Then I went to another news channel and I stopped for just a second. What were they talking about? They were just stirring hate. Went to another news channel. Like I said, one channel 
was the only one not stirring hate at that 10-minute period when I surfed through every channel that they had in that hotel. We live in an age of hate. You turn on social media, there's people stirring hate. We need to be people of God that in all things we do it with charity. What was the, what was the identifying mark of Jesus' disciples? It was our love. We need the Holy Spirit of God to empower the love of Christ in our hearts. So I challenge you today, be alert, be faithful, be mature, be strong. But in all of this, be loving. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you now confessing how much we need you. Lord, I don't know who exactly this morning needed this message. I know I did. But Lord, I pray that you would strengthen your church. And Lord, we would not be as the church at Corinth that, as I said at the beginning, was Paul's headache in the ministry. But Lord, we would grow spiritually as families, as individuals, and as a corporate congregation. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us in the faith, that you would make us more like Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be alert. Help us to be mature. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be strong. But oh Lord, how we need your love. Help us in all things to demonstrate your love. Lord, help us not back up on truth, but as we stand for truth, I pray that your love would fill us and flow through us. And Lord, that you would make us more like your son. I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their savior, that they would realize their sin that crucified your son on the cross. They would acknowledge their sin, put their faith in your finished work on the cross. I thank you that today we serve a risen Savior and that we're striving for one day being able to receive rewards from you in heaven. But Lord, we, we acknowledge now we'll only be receiving those rewards so that we can give them back to you because you're the one who is worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory and all power and all strength. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If God has dealt with your heart, I challenge you to come to the altar or kneel there where you are. And as we have this time of invitation, let's sing hymn number 708, sorry, 799.